Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Are you familiar with the phrase, it's not personal, it's just business? I'm sure you probably are. You've heard that before. Well, if you have, I think you would understand that that's somewhat relevant as it relates to Georgia football right now. There is a conversation going on. I believe it's negative in the direction of Georgia. I honestly don't believe it's personal. I don't believe on the part of the major voices in media, there is necessarily any kind of obvious hatred for UGA, any significant anti-UGA bias. I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe there's some sort of personal dislike for Georgia, but I believe it is good business to doubt Georgia right now. It's kind of amazing to me how quickly Georgia has kind of gone from being a little bit of an outsider, to use political language, this is as close to politics as we'll ever get, but it kind of going from being a little bit of an outsider candidate to all of a sudden being the establishment very, very quickly. I think that's what Georgia has kind of become and if you look at the current landscape of college football here's what i believe is true that the actual story of this season and really possibly maybe even the only story of this particular season is georgia taking that next step towards being the unquestioned undoubted unchallenged legitimate top dog no pun intended in the entire sport that that this season would appear to be a referendum on whether or not George can take the next step towards absolute, unquestioned, total supremacy. That's what this season is about. They obviously vanquished Alabama a year ago. Teams like Alabama know where to be found right now in the dominant playoff conversation, kind of a fringe, sort of outside the, the uh, window looking in type scenario. But for the most part, Alabama's nowhere to be found here right now. Former power Clemson, they've kind of eroded here a bit too. We've been promised Ohio State arriving year after year after year. It never seems to happen. All of these sort of like would-be powers have either eroded or never quite materialize that the remainder of this season is sort of about well is Georgia really just the unquestioned power broker in all of college football that's what this season's sort of about right now and you know I think you kind of understand this that if you're um living in New York Chicago Los Angeles one of these cities far removed from SEC country there is an element of that it's not all that particularly interesting right it's like you know only being about one team one team sort of marching its way through and completely dominating every team that it plays there's a certain element of that that's not quite interesting and so that's where the business motivation i believe of the predominant voices in media to sort of sell the idea of something else possibly happening all right maybe this thing's gonna happen maybe that thing's gonna happen hey maybe george is gonna lose to this team or maybe whatever 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 I think there's a certain element of it's just sort of good business to doubt Georgia because anything that could emerge that that threatens Georgia would give you the appearance of a little bit more parity in the sport right now. And largely, I think that the powers that be think parity is good for the sports you know, continued ability to thrive as a national sport, things like that. That's where the kind of business part of this comes down. However, if you're a Georgia fan and I am and most of you are there as well, here's what I think we can sort of openly acknowledge here for a moment. That if the media is unwilling to state the true narrative, the fact that Georgia has been the best team in the entire country and they are marching towards a national championship, potentially, that would leave no doubt who the unquestioned top dog in the entire sport is. If that's what this season is, and yet continually we are being told of the possibility of something else, then honestly, I think that you are well within your rights as a Georgia fan to treat your relationship with the national media as adversarial. 
that they might be worthy of your seething contempt if that's the continued way in which they're going to talk about your team, ignoring what might be the obvious narrative for the hopeful narrative. Well, maybe this team can do this, or maybe this team can do that. Blah, 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 blah. That, that, that if you want to view that in a negative light, I think you have every right to do so. And I think it's worth pointing out that there is no, I believe this firmly, there is no individual media member who's obviously out to get Georgia, but collectively everybody sort of understands what's in their own best interest and making argument for somebody else other than Georgia would seem to make some sense here. And what's kind of cool is, is that this is a role in which Georgia has thrived in before. You may have heard us talk a lot over the course of this offseason, especially in the summer as it led towards the start of the year. You've heard me say this a million times. The idea that Georgia unanimously was thought to be on paper worse than Alabama and worse than Ohio State, it was ridiculous at the time. And it's beyond ridiculous now that we've seen more about what Alabama is and more about what Ohio State is as well formidable teams of course but not obviously better than georgia and there was nothing wrong with somebody picking ohio state at the beginning of the year picking alabama at the beginning of the year there was a obviously it's a valid argument but the idea that everyone was so sure that the reigning national champions were going to fall in line back underneath alabama and ohio state that was ludicrous and it was ludicrous at the time and at the beginning of this season i think that georgia very much enjoyed showing people who thought that how wrong they were and then you go a few weeks after that the tennessee game y'all remember how much time we spent prior to the tennessee game highlighting all the people that gave georgia no chance in that game against tennessee failure on offense we talked about jordan rogers saying that failure on defense some other knucklehead said something about that uh we had the former tennessee quarterback talking about how the fans were gonna have no impact on the game there were all these people kind of lining up to, to not doubt Georgia, not express some skepticism about Georgia, but openly predict the notion that Georgia would be demonstrated as a fraud going into that game. And that's obviously not how it played out. Georgia could have beaten Tennessee that day as badly as it wanted to. And there was sort of a version of that that seemed like it was always destined to be true, no matter what the media folks said leading into that game. It was good business to doubt Georgia because, hey, maybe something new and interesting and different might happen this year that we haven't seen before. And yet Georgia once again did not cooperate with that narrative so here we are going into championship saturday against lsu going into the college football playoff after that and here we are with a chance once again for georgia to sort of silence some of what's being said about it and that's been a fun role for georgia to be in all year long and georgia fans i believe are at their best when they're a little bit edgy i think this georgia team is at its best when it's maybe a little bit edgy even though it doesn't talk about a lot of this stuff out loud certainly there is um sort of a uh, I guess a level of play this team shows when it's vanquishing critics uh, that seems to be pretty intense and so maybe it's time to kind of find that chip back on your shoulder here once again I'm going to give you an example of this and this is from a guy that I really don't dislike I don't have anything against him but it's an example of some of the narrative stuff that's out there right now there are a lot of people who just don't think that Georgia is apparently very good at least in comparison to what you sort of typically think of as a number one team in the country one of those guys is Cole Kublik Cole Kublik goes on some show this weekend the host name is Zach Gelb. I don't know Gelb. I don't know him at all. But this tweet kind of got some attention online. Cole on the show. The question here is, hey, for the national championship right now, would you take Georgia or would you take the field? And Cole Kublik made it uh, in, you know, very, very, very clear here that he would be more interested in the other teams right now to win the national championship than he would be Georgia. This is Kublik from the Internet somewhere this week. I would go with the field. Because even though this Georgia rushing attack has been great over the last couple of weeks, I still don't think their offense is one that I would classify as high-powered. 
Um, I do think that you can just, if you can physically match up with them up front, it's kind of why I think the SEC championship game is going to be closer than people think. I think LSU's defensive line physically is going to be able to hold up. That front seven will hold up. Uh, Georgia does not just play bully ball out of the gate. Now, they've had a couple of games where they've taken over late, and that rushing game's gotten going with Kenny McIntosh here over the last couple of games, but they're not overly dynamic at wide receiver. Yes, Brock Bowers is a complete mismatch, but there are games that they don't necessarily force feed him the football in the manner that I think that they should. And I just don't think overall they have as many guys that you just can't handle and can't deal with and can't manage on that defense, specifically at the second level. They don't have the erasers that they did a year ago at the second and third level. I mean, for those of you who've been with us all season long, doesn't that sound so much like what we heard going into the Tennessee game? Uh, Kublik works with Jordan Rogers on those SEC network telecasts. Isn't Cole here echoing very much the same stuff that Rogers said going into that game against Tennessee? What we found out that day is is that Georgia against a defense like the Vols uh, could do pretty much anything that it wanted to do. And honestly, at this point in time, I can't do the – what is it that Cole said? Oh, I don't really think of the Georgia offense as high-powered enough. You know, Georgia's averaging about 38 points per game right now. Uh, they've scored 40-plus on three different teams currently ranked in the CFP Top 25. They they actively made the decision to stop scoring against Tennessee because they didn't feel like they needed to score more points. Kirby Smart said that himself after the game. I can't do the, whether or not the Georgia offense is high-powered or not anymore. I, I just can't do it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm bored with that. Uh, it, it's been repeated over and over again. I, I don't even know what high-powered is if 38 points per game and 40-plus points per game on the regular against ranked opponents is not enough. I, I just can't do that. I'm bored with that. But Cole Kublik, you also heard him say there, seems to be doubting the Georgia physicality a little bit. Oh, they don't come around. They're not pushing people around. All of a sudden now, you're doubting the thing that sort of makes Georgia Georgia. Its ability to be physical, its ability to kind of push te- you know, teams around, its ability to push back when it's pushed on. It sounds like Cole sort of doubting some of that a little bit. And if you don't believe me, let's listen more to some of the stuff that Kublik said on the, I think it's the Zach Gelb show from earlier this week. Now, you got to stay away from Keely Ringo. Just don't throw it his direction. you got to understand how to handle a couple of the guys up front like Jalen Carter, but they're not all over the place like they were a season ago. And I think there are a couple of teams that, I mean, some that you've mentioned. I mean, TCU, they're going to spread you out. USC is going to spread you out. You add a quarterback run to that, something you're going to see LSU do this weekend, and you can neutralize a lot of what Georgia has. And I would really be interested to see if a team did find something against them offensively and turned it into a bit of a track meet, how that Georgia offense would then operate. So with the way USC can score, with the way TCU can score, with with I actually think this year's Michigan team could get into a heavyweight title fight against Georgia and hold up. Last year they couldn't do that. This year I think they can. Would love to see that game. It would be an absolute bloodbath. It would be beautiful football. Uh, And I just think that when you're talking about the teams that are potentially going to be in, there are some real headaches for what Georgia is and how Georgia can be managed this year. So – I'm not anti-Cole Kublik. I'm not. I don't really have much of an opinion on Cole Kublik at all, to be completely honest with you. I'm not, you know, for him or against him or anything else. He's just a guy that does this for a living, and some of the stuff he says is interesting. Maybe sometimes it's not. I don't really have a strong opinion on him one way or another necessarily. But I do think the stuff that he says there is quite illustrative. Is that the word I'm looking for here? Quite illustrative 
of the larger narrative as it relates to UGA. How many years now has there been the wish of this of, oh, can you imagine if one of these offenses could get into a shootout with Georgia? Can you imagine how good that would be? And can you imagine what Georgia would do to respond to that? That's what Tennessee was supposed to be able to do. That's actually kind of what Michigan was supposed to be able to do last year. It's what Alabama was supposed to do in the national championship game. Uh, you know, on and on and on you go here of, oh, this offense is going to get Georgia into a shootout. Then what's going to happen then? Y'all, it takes – two to tango here and georgia just does not cooperate with that narrative you don't get into a shootout with georgia because they don't let you do it and then they haven't let you do it and my guess is in the college ball playoff against the likes of tcu and usc two teams that george would be more than a two touchdown favorite against that i don't really see much of an evidence right now to suggest those games would be any different than the game was against tennessee yeah the tennessee game was at home and the vols fans will tell you that's the only thing that mattered but ultimately it's all said and done is there anything about tennis about tcu or usc that you would be led to believe is any different for Georgia than it was against Tennessee. And yet the same kind of doubts we heard before the dogs play the Vols, we're hearing those same kinds of things here right now. But beyond that, you better believe the stuff that ought to be echoing through Athens right now, the stuff that ought to be echoing through the Georgia football facility right now is the idea of, oh, can you imagine this Michigan bloodbath? You know, last year, Michigan wasn't quite ready for that. This year, they're ready. Michigan's going to shove Georgia around. They're going to push them around. They're tougher. They're whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, this is Georgia being called soft right here. And listen, I'm not anti-Cubelic. I don't, I don't even really care all that much. But this is a guy who looks at Georgia all season long, looks at Michigan all season long, and says, I don't know that Georgia can match Michigan's toughness. I mean, if that doesn't get a chip back on your shoulder as a fan ready to cheer this team on, but more importantly as a coach and player ready to go through this go for 2-22 and season, I honestly don't know what will. And it's that Georgia-Michigan comparison here that seems to be kind of taking on a little bit of a life of its own here a little bit and i want to show you another example of this too and i want to make an admission to you after this but but you know it was heather dinich who's kind of the mouthpiece of the college ball playoff selection committee posing as a reporter for espn uh she was on social media yesterday sort of talking about the idea of Ooh, who should be number one between Georgia and Michigan? Now, we know last night Georgia was number one again. They've got four wins against ranked opponents right now. That's literally the only argument they need. It really shouldn't have even been close. Don't believe it was particularly close. But she was on social media yesterday peddling the idea of the Wolverines being on top of the dogs, whatever else, kind of going along this notion of, hey, right now it just sort of seems like the media is doing some shopping for anybody but Georgia and on the heels of beating Ohio State. Uh, Michigan's kind of the team for that. Let me show you Dennett here on Twitter. I'm going to read you a couple of tweets. First of all, she says, Michigan's got a really strong case for number one. Best win in the country. On the road. Monster second half. Plus winning against top 10 uh, Penn State team. Will Georgia really still be number one, she beggingly asks. Uh, then she goes on to say, also fair to say that Georgia's best wins against Tennessee and Oregon have been devalued a bit since the Vols got hammered by South Carolina, a team that Georgia also hammered, by the way. And the Ducks were knocked out of the Pac-12 title game by Oregon State. That's a team that Georgia beat 49-3, to which is still ranked, I think, what's in top 15, top 16, something along those lines. So she's clearly on there begging for something interesting from the college ball playoff selection committee announcement, trying to draw up interest in that broadcast. And listen, I got no beef with her either, but I will tell you this, is that from now on, she's going to kind of be in a category for me, and Connor Ronnie kind of brought this up last night on our Go for 2 and 22 show that we did uh, live last night reacting to the CFP Top 25, that maybe it's time not to really pay her quite as much attention. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is a very honest admission. 
that sometimes one of the things that's fun to do in a show like this is, hey, take somebody's hot take, throw it on the screen, and it becomes kind of a springboard for us to have a conversation about whatever we might want to discuss. That's kind of a fun thing to be able to do. And yet there are a couple of people who are just a little too cheap and easy to use as fodder for discussion. We very rarely mention anything that, like, say, a Dan Wolken from USA Today says, because at this point in time, that's sort of a character, a character meant to serve a purpose. And it's just a little too cheap to drag that out here. It's a little bit the same thing with Danny Cannell. And I actually kind of like Cannell because I like pro wrestling. And to me, Cannell is kind of a pro wrestling style college football analyst. But once again, if, if he's doing the sort of anti-SEC shtick, that's a little too cheap and easy to drag out to score some easy points with. I think that Heather Denich is now sort of in the Danny Cannell, Dan Wolken category for me of someone who's clearly serving a purpose, someone who's clearly playing a role, someone who's clearly kind of almost like a press secretary for the CFP committee and sort of a PR flacky of sorts for the broadcast on on Tuesday night more so than any kind of serious person who's trying to objectively arrive at any sort of you know uh you know non-preordained conclusion here so I think moving forward for me a Denich is more in the category of a Wolken or a or a Canel for me in terms of someone who's probably just a little too cheap and easy to use as a way to score points on a show like this but beyond that, it is another example of kind of what exists out there. That much the same way before the season began, there are doubters of Georgia. And when Georgia was told it was the third best team in the country before the start of the season, it went out there and hammered Oregon 49-3 to and then South Carolina 48-7. to And when it was told before the Tennessee game that Tennessee was going to kind of prove Georgia to be a fraud and score so many points that Georgia couldn't keep up or whatever else it was supposed to be, Georgia went out there and failed to cooperate with that narrative again and dragged Tennessee up and down the field to the point where Tennessee didn't want any anymore. And all of a sudden, here we are now moving towards the SEC championship, the college ball playoff after that, and then everything else that could come after that on the way to go for two and 22 in a second consecutive national championship. And lo and behold, once again, we have a lot of folks coming out of the woodworks to say, no, nah, it's not going to be George. George is not either tough enough or dynamic enough or whatever or whatever or whatever. All of a sudden, the same kind of doubt that existed for Georgia in a couple of other points this season have reemerged. The best version of Georgia is the version that has a chip on its shoulder. The best version of Georgia fans, that's the one that also has a chip on its shoulder there as well. Georgia is going to march its way towards what it hopes is another national championship, and it's going to have to silence doubters every step of the way. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot of fun to me. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. We are happy to have you with us. And we are so thankful for our friends at Breda Pass Management for making it all possible. You know, Breda Pass Management... Uh, this is a big-time company. They've been in business since the 1970s. They've got more than 100 employees stretched all across our market area doing great work serving you. In fact, they've done such great work for such a long time. They've actually been recognized as the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. And obviously, around here, we love the dog. And so a company like this that serves the dogs is kind of a cool thing to be able to tell you here. And they do take care of all those athletic facilities there at Georgia. You know, Sanford City on Saturday, for instance, they they keep that stadium protected pest-free. In fact, they ran the Yellow Jackets out of town on Saturday. That's how committed they are to uh, keeping it pest-free there at uh, Sanford Stadium. That's exactly what our friends at Breda Pest Management are all about there. But when you're sitting at Sanford Stadium, you look down that football field, that space as large as it is, did you know that there's room on that football field for like a million termites? Now, let me ask you a question. 
If there's that much space for that many termites, what does that mean for you in your home, around your yard, on the ground, around your house? And what's stopping those silent destroyers from getting in and doing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage to your home? It's not a theoretical conversation. If you've been a homeowner in Georgia long enough, you know this. Termites are just sort of a fact of life. And so having a good defense against those termites, that's a really, really important thing. And frankly, Trusting a company like Breda Pass Manager to provide that service for you makes a lot of sense, not just because they do a good job of keeping the bugs and the critters outside your house where they're supposed to be, but also because they can leverage their resources, the success they've had in business over the course of decades. They can leverage that for you to also save you some money as well, because when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, you're going to put more money back in your pocket instantly just for doing that. You may be working with a fly-by-night company who sends you that letter in the mail, your cost of service is going up because they're having a hard time keeping up with the the challenges that come in a business like this, that's not the story for Breda Pass Management. When you make the switch to them, more money back in your pocket instantly. So do me a favor. Check out BredaPass.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com. And have a great conversation with Matt Breda's entire team over there. Let them do work for you, protecting you from termites, bugs, critters, everything else. BredaPass.com for more on that. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com. All right, we have a very busy show coming up today. Before we're done, very excited to welcome on former Georgia wide receiver Sean Bailey. Sean was a big part of Georgia's 2005 SEC championship win against LSU. So it seems like just sort of good vibes to bring him on to kind of reminisce about that, to talk specifically here about the meaning of winning an SEC championship. But as a former wide receiver, also what he sees from this Georgia offense, too. We'll do that with Sean some before we uh, wrap up here today. Mike Griffith stops by in a moment there as well. Uh, before that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And here's where I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit from where I was before. You know, I think a lot of us are on guard for when somebody else says something negative about Georgia. We're ready to kind of, you know, put up the dukes on that a little bit. But that doesn't mean we don't have a serious conversation from time to time about what you want to see more of from Georgia as it moves kind of down the stretch here into its postseason run. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier was, hey, go back and look at that Tennessee game. Georgia was so dominant there that day against the Vols. And one of the things that it really brought out was that terrific pass rush. They got after Hendon Hooker in a huge way there in that game. And you know, since Nolan Smith has been hurt, we haven't seen as much of that maybe from Georgia. This is on paper right now. If Georgia wins the national championship, this will be the least pass rush we've seen from a national champion in the college ball playoff era. And yet you would also say, hey, when Georgia when needed that pass rush, when it, when, it, when it needed to have that dynamic play on the edge, it certainly got it against the Vols. And so calling up on that now against Jaden Daniels on Saturday for LSU, assuming he's healthy in the college ball playoff after that. That's going to be a pretty important part of the narrative here. And so this week, uh, our buddy Connor Riley asked Kirby Smart about this. Hey, you know, with Nolan Smith down, you've had more of Chas Chambliss. You've kind of had more of Robert Beal. What have you seen from Georgia at the outside linebacker spot in the absence of Nolan Smith, who continues to be a great leader on this team, but he's not able to contribute on the field right now? This was the uh, evaluation from Smart on Chambliss and, and, and Beal. Take a listen to Kirby on this. They both bring uh – size speed toughness and awareness of our system understanding how our system works um they were both playing already uh so really it's just increased the load a little bit you know went from dividing among three guys snaps to really two guys playing snaps and uh i've been very pleased with what those guys have done so vote of confidence there from kirby smart and who am i to disagree with that and yet i'll also add to this hey 
when you look at the areas that you want to see more from from George, because it's possible to think two things at once. It's possible to believe that George is going to win the national championship. We do around here. It's also possible to say, and the way in which you do that is raising your level of play in some areas, calling upon an additional reservoir of success that you maybe haven't had as much in recent weeks, or maybe haven't needed as much in recent weeks, whatever you want to say about that. But getting after quarterbacks, the way that you did against Tennessee, against Daniels on Saturday, or uh, you know Dugan if you played uh, TCU, or, or certainly Caleb Williams who played USC, finding a way to get after quarterbacks again, the way that you did against Hendon Hooker a few weeks ago, that's going to be really, really important. And guys like Chaz Chambliss and Robert Beal are going to be in the spotlight on that, especially when you kind of think about you know, a guy like B.J. Ojolari being on the other side for LSU on Saturday. So that's an interesting talking point, interesting viewpoint, and certainly seeing what Georgia gets from those dynamic edge guys, really important. And if Daniels is healthy, finding a way to keep him corralled and keep him in the pocket going to be a pretty important thing there, too. That is around the doghouse. We are Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager. Told you before, we got a great show for you. It's Sean Bailey, the great former Georgia wide receiver before we're done, looking back on a big win for the Dogs in the SEC Championship against the team they're playing on Saturday, LSU. We'll do that before we're done. But for now, everything else that's been happening in Athens, getting ready for what comes next, let's do a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. And welcome on Mike Griffith right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I'm probably going to get in trouble here because my uh, Christmas tree is covering up our Georgia Farm Bureau. Let me see if I can move. No, that's the wrong direction. There you go. I'll move it a little bit so folks can see the Farm Bureau better. We're in the Christmas spirit here, but we still got bills to pay. So let's give Farm Bureau the uh, love they deserve there on all that. And let's bring on another guy we love, Mike Griffith, who's going to be with us tonight, by the way, Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven. Let me actually take a minute to mention this, Mike, before we get rolling on everything else here and uh, do an insider update with you, courtesy of Georgia Farm Bureau. You, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, the entire Dog Nation team. Tonight, we are going to be at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven, 6 p.m. Y'all cannot wait to see you there for that. It's going to be such a big event. I've already heard from so many of you who are planning on being mayor. This is going to be so much fun, a great way to kick off, go for two in 22 season. Mike, you and I don't live in the same town. I live in the Atlanta area. You live in Athens. We actually don't get a chance to be in person together all that much just because we're spread out during the uh, year. But to be in the place with you tonight, to uh, hang out with dog fans together, to get ready for this go for two in 22 season, not only am I personally excited about being there, I'm excited about having you on hand there for that as well. How much fun is this going to be? Oh, it's it's going to be fun. It, it, it Brandon, every time you and I are together, it, it, it's combustible. You just <laughs> never know. You just never know what we may discuss and where we may go with it. And, and, and even separated by fiber optics, that's it right. Seems that's we, right. We oftentimes have different differing opinions. All in fun, of course. So sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time out at Marlowe's. I enjoyed the last time I, I was there. It was a blast. And the show you had earlier this year with Jake Prom, I'm still using quotes from Jake. Jake Jake's breakdown of the quarterbacks are fantastic. So every time at Marlowe's, it's it's a great time, and it will be exciting to have everybody together. I think you got to go back to the, the preseason tailgate uh, that we had uh, outside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the last time all of us were I think it's right. in, in one area there. And, of course, that, that day turned out pretty good. I'm sure dog fans are hoping that this game is uh, just as domineering and as impressive for the dogs as, 
as that Oregon opener was. No, I think you're exactly right about that. So if you're a Georgia fan, hey, get over there and see us. It's 3575 Durden Drive Northeast. Starts at 6 p.m. It's chef-inspired food. It's craft cocktails. It's, you know, wonderful, wonderful evening to get together. We'll do a live broadcast, of course, but it's really the behind-the-scenes conversation where Jeff and Mike and Connor and these guys kind of reveal some of the secrets that they can't really say on air, but they'll kind of give you a little bit of that off air that's where a lot of this ends up being really really fun so we will see you to uh we will see you uh for that tonight uh marlo's in brookhaven coming up 6 p.m there for that mike we're a little edgy around here today uh georgia number one again in the college ball playoff top 25 and yet much like the start of the season much like the game before tennessee you know you kind of have some of these doubters emerging around georgia right now i think it was obvious that georgia was going to be number one last night once you saw mississippi state popping into the top 25 for winning the egg bowl south carolina coming in at number 19 for really two consecutive weeks of big wins there for shane beamer and the gamecocks that gave georgia four dominant wins against teams ranked in the top 25 that was clearly going to be enough to keep them at number one but what do you think about the dogs at number one what do you think about the teams underneath georgia right now uh your overall reaction to the cfp top 25 from last night yeah, I was just, I'm, in fact, I'm just polishing off the story. I'm getting ready to post. I mean, it's there's. I think everybody's edgy. I, I think everybody is upset about something right now, right? I mean, you know, you've got Michigan upset saying, oh, you know, they beat Ohio State. They think the world's supposed to end. Tennessee still hanging on to a win over Alabama and wants everybody to ignore the, the you know, the bus wreck they had in South Carolina. Uh, you know, every Alabama upset Ohio State's ranked ahead of them. They know they beat them head-to-head, blah, blah, blah. You know, TCU, I think they're the only ones just happy to be there. USC, you know, why do we got to win if TCU doesn't have to win, right? I mean, there's just – everybody's got a complaint right now. And it, it and we and at the end of the day, we, none of us trust the college football playoff committee. When it comes right down to it, we don't trust the college football playoff committee because they can change their metrics. As Kirby said, they, they move the goal – they move the goalposts. They, uh, it, it, every year it's different. I mean, one week this is the priority metric, the next week, you know, I mean, who's to say if Michigan doesn't blow out Purdue and Georgia struggles with LSU that we don't see Michigan elevated? And here's what I suspect, and I'm writing it right now, and I just can't get over this notion that there is an interest for them to put USC up against Michigan, whether that means elevating USC to number three per 2-3 matchup with uh, with Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl, or whether that moves means moving Michigan to number one for a one-four matchup in Atlanta, I just can't get over the notion that the possibility of a Michigan USC matchup exists, and the CFP won't find a way to finagle that. Okay, so I understand where you're coming from on that, and I guess I'm sort of on guard for that as a possibility that even though that George got the nod last night that it might not be completely done in terms of who gets the number one overall seed. I want to talk to you about this from a couple different angles. But let me begin with this, though, that as someone who's kind of on guard for, hey, you know, what what if the Big Ten title game result is more convincing than the SEC championship result? You know, similar point spreads in the game. Georgia's actually a slightly larger favorite against ranked LSU than Michigan is against unranked Purdue. But that's what it kind of comes down to for me is that I think oftentimes the committee tips its hand with what happens at the bottom part of the top 25. And if you want to make the case for the Big Ten title game being an important data point, 
then why not rank Purdue last night? They've won three straight. They obviously clinched the Big Ten West. Um, you know, it would not have been the most egregious thing in the world had the Boilermakers shown up in the top 25, you know, here on that. And yet Purdue was not ranked. They weren't ranked the AP poll this week either, but they were not ranked by the CFP top 25 last night. So it would take an awful lot of contorting your argument to say that if Georgia beats a ranked LSU team by any margin, really, that's somehow less impressive than what Michigan does against Purdue because the committee had a chance last night to make the Boilermakers one of the 25 best teams in the country, and they did not christen them that way. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about the 2014 uh, rankings. And I was covering Michigan State, and they were ranked ahead of Mississippi State. And we just knew that that meant that the Spartans were going to the Orange Bowl. Because neither team was going to play a game that final week. But somehow, Mississippi State jumped Michigan State in the final rankings, even though neither team played a game. And so I ended up packing a a warm-weather coat and gloves and going to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas and canceling my pre-write story on Michigan State going to the Orange Bowl. So this committee, it is well within their rights, and they have done it before, where teams have moved and been juggled when neither team has played before. So there is a precedent. They can make up the rules as they go along. Now, you're right, Brandon. In the most rational sense, we should have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. But that's why Kirby Smart, when I asked him about that this week at his press conference, you know, he kind of looked off to the side. And Kirby looks off to that, that's him thinking he, 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 for a split second. It's a question he said he wasn't prepared for when I asked him about the difference uh, if, of playing in the Fiesta Bowl. He said, typically, because it's not a seven-day week, it's not as big of a deal as that Rose Bowl yeah. was when, when they got shipped out there to play Oklahoma. That was a distinct disadvantage. One day less of preparation to Alabama, which played in the Sugar Bowl against the watered-down Clemson. Bad memories, but it all happened. Now that there's a, a, a nine- or a ten-day cushion between December 31st and January 9th, he's not as concerned about it. But there's no question it, it, it's to Georgia's advantage to stay in Atlanta. And so the rankings do matter. The, the seedings do matter. I'm convinced. I truly believe, though, gun to the head, that we're going to see Michigan play USC if USC wins uh, their, their uh, game against Utah. I do believe that we will see that somehow or another. I just I feel like Georgia and TCU are going to be paired somewhere. So I heard what Kirby said in regards to your question earlier this week. And while I am firmly of the camp, and I've been saying this now for months, that, hey, if you can play that playoff game in Atlanta, huge advantage, huge advantage, huge advantage. And yet there is a part of me that at least wants to consider the other side of this is, you know, maybe Kirby is being honest. Maybe maybe they don't view being in Atlanta as as much of a big deal as I do, because while it's a lot more travel, it's not the tight window that it was back in 2017 when you only had a week to come back from California to get ready for that national championship you can make a case there may be fewer distractions there are some teams that kind of like being on the road Arizona would certainly be on the road in comparison to being in Atlanta which you know brings you kind of closer to your fan base but also kind of closer to some of the stuff that Atlanta has going on that maybe 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 Arizona doesn't quite have going on to the same degree I mean is there a sense in which that maybe Kirby's not sandbagging here that maybe they really don't view the playoff game in Atlanta as big a deal as we do? I mean, I'm at least I just want to consider the possibility of that. Well, I, I think that's the mindset, you know. And, and Jeremy Pruitt said that a few weeks ago when all this talk was, you know, oh my gosh, Georgia might play Tennessee again, and oh, or, or how worried would you? Jeremy said, I guarantee you, they don't care who they play or where they play. 
that's the mindset of the football team. Now, us as analysts and certainly fans have their emotions and teams they'd want to see and, you know, know somebody here or, you know, like this team or whatever. But that football team and that building over there, Buttsmere Heritage, they really don't care. His name was faceless, mission opponent. Like Kirby said about the SEC championship game, you know, we're out here with, you know, going through all this consternation and theatric, oh, my gosh, it's the SEC title game, and you've never done it before, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Kirby's like, it's a box to check, guys. It's just another box to check. This is a very business-like approach by Georgia. This is what they are now. Uh, They're machine-like. They're emotionally level. And and that's what's enabled them to sustain is is not riding the even while the season has certainly been filled with ups and downs and highs and lows and uh, the the mentality is very even keel and so they don't let it get in their head where they're going to play tell tell us where to show up tell us where to you know are they getting on a bus or are they getting on a plane you know it, for Kirby it's it's business and that's the way he prepares those guys mentally so while privately he may have a preference. It's not going to be something outward that he's going to campaign for or invest any energy into because he understands he does not control it. It's our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here, and we understand that Saturday is more than just a football game and this run towards the postseason, more than just a collection of games here for UGA. When it comes to that kind of idea, you want an insurance company that's more than just an insurance provider there as well for your home insurance, for your auto insurance. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau is. They are always the home team. That means something to us because we live here in Georgia. As I mentioned earlier, Mike lives in the Athens area. I live in the Atlanta area. You live wherever it is that you live, most of you in, in the state of Georgia here, and you understand what it's like to live and, and and send your kids to school and, and and do things like that in communities all across our great state well that's exactly what georgia farm bureau is all about there as well they're in the same kinds of communities maybe even right there next door to you that's exactly what georgia farm bureau is about that's why we say they are always the home teams so when it comes to great products and great service for your auto insurance for your for your home insurance for things like that you want to trust georgia farm bureau so find out more about them gfbinsurance.com that is gfbinsurance.com mike real quick here just Give me a final thought here on the SEC championship on Saturday. Georgia, big favorite. LSU kind of limping in here a, a bit after losing to Texas A&M. Give me your brief handicap on Georgia versus the Tigers for Saturday. You know, I thought Josh Heupel a few weeks ago when he talked about this game, he kind of in a roundabout way made it sound like it was going to come down to the quarterbacks. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if Stetson Bennett's healthy. I, I don't know if his arm is right. I, I just I just don't. He, he's been too inaccurate and inconsistent of late, and I don't know where Jaden Daniels' ankle is at. I really don't. I, I mean, he went back in the game with it taped up. I, you know, he was in a protective boot on Sunday. We haven't seen Stetson all week. We, we don't really know what happens behind the scenes. You know, earlier this year, you know, Stetson's hand had gotten a little messed up and back split reps, and, and nobody really knew that. Stetson played and, and turned out to be fine, but I just, I think the quarterback play is going to be big. I think this is a game Georgia should win. I think Georgia is without a doubt the better team. But if we're being honest, the first half, Georgia Tech outplayed Georgia in Sanford Stadium last Saturday. You can say it was that they were overlooking them or it didn't matter as much, but there's not a guy on Georgia Tech's team that would start for Georgia, but they outgained them for 30 minutes of football in Sanford Stadium. That concerns me a little bit. I saw the team sputter at Mississippi State for a half. There, there were times against Kentucky, and you know, yes, Kenny McIntosh has emerged, and his 173 yards were the most by a back in a game since DeAndre Swift since 2018, and his 600 yards rushing and 400 yards receiving. We haven't seen that out of a back since 
uh, Todd Gurley in 24. He said, yes, Kenny McIntosh is coming on. There's a chance A.D. Mitchell might play. But, Brandon, I don't, I don't feel I, – I, I'd like to see Georgia get right with this game. I'd like to see, like, that command performance that we saw against Tennessee. I thought the first half against Tennessee, I said, man, nobody's beating this team. Nobody's beating this team when Georgia plays like they did the first and, – and, and even the last 30 minutes. Tennessee wasn't going to score. They weren't going to score. Kirby knew that. That's the way he ran it, 21 out of the last 25 snaps. Georgia wasn't getting beat that day. There had been too much talk, and I just wonder if this game can bring that out of Georgia. I, I, I think we need to see that. I think we need to see that level of play that we saw against Tennessee for Georgia to win a national championship. I don't think you necessarily need it to beat LSU, but it sure would be good to see it. I don't. I don't think anybody wants to sweat through a four-quarter game against the LSU team that just got bombed by A and M. Because uh, these other teams, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament. Everybody's playing good at the end of the year. I just, I think Georgia needs to play good on Saturday. That's kind of my takeaway: is whatever the score, whatever the circumstance, just think Georgia needs to get playing good again. And as Kirby said at his press conference, get that momentum going again. Because whoever they face, wherever they face them on December 31st, it's going to be somebody playing good football. All right, Mike, good stuff. We'll see you tonight. Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven. Looking forward to that. And, of course, back here again on Dog Nation Daily for our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update again very soon there as well. All right, CBA. Good stuff there. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we're a couple of minutes away from our buddy Sean Bailey, former Georgia wide receiver. So I'll probably end up pushing some of our SEC Through stuff after the fact. But I do want to tell you this, that I continue to be so excited. Think about big events. we got all kinds of great go for 2 and 22 stuff going, including being at the Marlowe's and Brookhaven tonight. But then after that, I get a little bit of a reprieve here before, you know, once, once the hay is in the barn and Georgia hopefully hoists that SEC championship trophy on Saturday, after that, I get a chance to be on Wonder of the Sea. It's going to be on that next week. So we'll give you some show logistic stuff as it relates to that for the following week. But the excitement that I feel when you get ready for a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is the kind of thing that I hope everybody gets a chance to experience. And if you don't get a chance to experience beforehand, maybe you can have that for yourself coming up this April when we're all on board independence of the seas together for the second ever dog nation cruise that's coming up then the website you can go to is royaldogs.com a great travel agent named jessica slater has made this site specifically for you to educate you on what to expect from the second ever cruise with dog nation so go to royaldogs.com to find out more about that you can also give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 and she'll give you all the details about our cruise coming up with dog nation but also the great events taking place throughout the year on all the great ships and destinations and ports and all the stuff that comes with a great royal caribbean cruise vacation we literally have so many of those uh, coming up here in my family that we just love those kind of quick getaways enjoy the time on the Ship, go to Perfect Day Coco K, something along those lines, and you can enjoy that for yourself. You can talk to Jessica Slater for a lot more on that. So here's what I want to do before the show wraps up. I do want to give you more on the top 25 from last night because I do think there were a couple of SEC-centric stories there that are generating a lot of debate. And I thought Mike said it pretty well a moment ago. 
that right now you got a lot of folks who are a little bit edgy, you got a lot of folks who are a little bit of a bad mood. Uh, and I think we have a couple of examples of that in the SEC, which honestly just sort of means it's late November in college football because that's typically the way that it goes here around here on that. So I want to get more into that in a moment. There are a couple of other stories that I wanted to try to get to yesterday that we weren't able to do. So we'll see if we can get to that. We want to give you some picks for the week, or at least sort of set the stage for some of that. So we got all kinds of stuff we'll do before the show is done. But for now, let me just bring the music down because I don't want to keep our next guest waiting because he is a big part of this program's history. It is Sean Bailey, the former Georgia wide receiver, a big hero the day the dogs won in 2005. He's a big underdog there against LSU. Sean, it's always fun to have you on the show. Thanks for being back on here today, and we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So, Sean, one of the things we've talked about a lot this week is, hey, you know, last year Georgia won the national championship, and yet this year it has a chance – as it maybe wins another national championship to also bring home an SEC championship trophy. And I certainly realize that the national championship trophy is the most significant prize in our sport. I, I completely understand that. And yet when we've talked to guys this week, whether it be Jake Fromm yesterday, who won one in 2017 or John Stinchcomb earlier this week, who won one in 2002, they'll tell you the story of that locker room celebration as being a very important thing and a, part, and a great part of their football legacy. Well, you had that celebration yourself, ironically against the team that George is going to play this Saturday LSU what did it feel like to bring home that 2005 SEC championship how special a memory was that for you oh, it was uh no other feeling like that obviously I you know I haven't played for a for a national championship so uh that was the, the biggest uh for my career from from uh you know elementary on up so uh, that celebration was, was incredible. And what people may not realize is and you obviously had a great game that day you had two touchdowns and what people may not realize is is that you all also played that day as a very significant underdog. This is the first year for Les Miles as head coach. You know, Jamarcus Russell was a quarterback for LSU who would go on to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And there weren't maybe very many people outside of Athens that day that thought you guys were going to win that game. How much confidence did y'all, you know, quarterback DJ Shockley, yourself, the other players there on that team, how much confidence did y'all bring into that game in terms of the ability, at least from a point spread standpoint, to kind of shock the world and win that day? How much How much of that did y'all bring with you into that game? Yeah, I think the, the mentality of uh, different teams and, and different coaches are different at different stages. And for us, um, going in as a, you know, a super underdog, you know, our, our mentality was extremely free. Um, you know, we had we had nothing to lose. Um, so, you know, our game plan early was to take some shots, and, and we knew with them playing man coverage um, that those, those shots were going to be there. And uh, all the pressure was, was on LSU. Um, you know, they were ranked a lot higher. You know, everybody picked them and all that. So we're not, we were able to go into that game free, um, knowing the shots were going to be there. It allowed us to play, um, you know, extremely calm and um, – and with a, a nothing-to-lose kind of mentality. And as a wide receiver, when you go into a week of practice like that where you know you're going to have some of that man coverage, you're going to have a chance to beat a man one-on-one, as a competitor, as an athlete, that's going to be the best feeling in the world. And obviously you had a great game that day against LSU, but that's got to be such a fun thing to know, hey, this is my week to really shine. You know, sometimes – the, the coverage options may not create that same level of opportunity, but a week like this, I have a chance to really go out there and show the world what I'm all about. That had to be an energizing feeling for you in particular. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head with that. As a receiver, when you know that you're going to get man-to-man coverage, you know the uh, the safeties are going to be aggressive, they're going to jump on a lot of stuff, and it's just you in that corner. Um, you know, who, who's better than who? Um, you know, there's no excuse there, so... You know, you got to outman that guy, and you know, as a receiver, you kind of lick your chops because it's one on one, and 
best man's going to win. It's the same opponent for Georgia this Saturday that y'all beat back in 2005. It's LSU. The circumstances around this are a little bit weird, though, in that you know Georgia's number one again and would seem to be already on its way to the college football playoff regardless of the result on Saturday. It's a little bit of a scary thing to say out loud, but you sort of feel like that might be the case. LSU, on the other hand, is a good team, but they lost on Saturday to what might be the SEC's worst team in Texas A&M. This is not the usual vibe we've gotten over the years from the SEC championship, but as a former player, when you kind of look in on this, what Georgia has to play, for what seemingly LSU kind of almost doesn't have to play for you talked earlier about being loose and free and no pressure that's kind of the way LSU comes into a game like this on Saturday as a former player yourself how do you view this year's SEC championship game yeah and I think uh I think Kirby's kind of the x factor to that because that's not his mentality and that's not how he's going to go into the game um you know one of the phrases that he said earlier is that you know he wants to hunt with a with a purpose uh, most teams in this situation, you know, turn into the hunted because you're, you're the number one team. Like you said, uh, you lose, you still get in. Um, but that's that's not Kirby's mentality at all, and I know that's not what he's preaching. I know, um, you know, winning the national championship last year was extremely special for those guys. Um, but there's, you know, a little asterisk there because you weren't the SEC championship. So what what better way to come back this year, um, you know, go undefeated in the regular season and have an opportunity to win that SEC championship and then win a national championship within the same year Uh, so I think the motivation for the guys the motivation for Kirby is all there because they they didn't accomplish this last year and to kind of put all the pieces together and and make this a a perfect season um, you know has, has a lot of fuel for their fire there's also this kind of weird vibe when you play LSU because Georgia doesn't play LSU every year and over the years hasn't played them you know, oftentimes very much at all. And while these two teams do have some overlap in terms of players that were recruited – and you know guys have had connections to both schools a lot of times you sort of feel like you know the LSU players a little bit more Louisiana Texas the Georgia players a little bit more Georgia Florida you know kind of that you know kind of vibe here a a bit and so there's an interesting measuring stick when these two teams are actually you know pretty spread out in terms of the SEC footprint when they play against each other Georgia's played LSU twice since Kirby's been the head coach have kind of lost both games so there's a little bit of a different vibe when you play LSU because you maybe almost feel like you have a little, little something extra to prove because this is not one of those teams that you're always playing necessarily it's almost like a representation of two different ways of life on the field when you get out there on the field with them is that the kind of thing that maybe you experienced yeah without a doubt um with with them being in the west not getting to see them uh you know as often um and then you know a lot of times you know from from the east it's going to be georgia florida and from from the west it's going to be alabama or lsu um and, and as you mentioned you know the last couple times um you know they've come up on top over us, um, you know, last one being being a, a pretty big big win for for them uh, at the expense of us. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure these guys are, are, are riled up, ready to go. And, and as a statement, uh, regardless of the year, when you're playing LSU, you know that they're going to bring it. So, um, you know, I don't think there's going to be any kind of lack of motivation or uh, you know overthinking or uh, overlooking uh, LSU. So we'll finish with this. You mentioned earlier, you know, last year Georgia wins the national championship, and all of a sudden they sit here with a chance to do it all over again. How amazing would that be for you? And obviously the team itself can't count anything before it happens. they got to go out there and play their best on this particular Saturday and then what we hope are the two games that come after that. But it is certainly a possibility right now. Georgia's ranked number one once again. How special would it be for you to see, as we say around here, Georgia go for two and bring that second national championship home? How much would that mean to you as an alumnus of this school and a, and, a, and a former letterman with this program to see that level of accomplishment for this Georgia team here right now? 
I mean, it would mean everything. Uh, you know, we've known, and obviously we're here, you know, being a, a former alumni, former letterman, we know how, how close this program has been uh, to being where they're at right now. Um, and, and they're to be able, able to take advantage of some of the situations that, you know, we weren't able to take advantage of back then. But it kind of just brings a lot of uh, validity to, to this program. You know, like I said, something that the people in the state of Georgia have known for a long time that this is a top-notch program, an elite program. Uh, but this just kind of puts the seal. And to be able to go, you know, potentially go back-to-back, um, it's, it's a major statement. You know, there's even people that talk. A little bit down about, you know, last year was lucky. You know, Alabama had some guys hurt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, this, if they're able to, to go and, and win it again this year, that just shuts it down and, and, and really says Georgia is, is legit. You can't take anything away from them. Boy, I think that's well said, Sean. We've got great memories of your career, the 2005 SEC Championship, was certainly one of the fun games that I got a chance to watch. And it's a special part of, I think, the legacy of Mark Rick's time as coach and everything that's obviously gone on there with UGA. We appreciate you showing up here today to talk to about that with uh, us here. And we'll look forward to obviously getting a chance to chat with you again soon and hope you enjoy the game this weekend, the rest of the postseason run that comes up after that. Will do. Thanks again for uh, for having me. Always enjoy it. Good stuff there from Sean Bailey, former Georgia wide receiver. Love that look back on his life, his legacy, his career, and if we can create some sort of good vibes going into a game like this, that's always something really fun that we want to be able to do. And I'll say this about the 2005 team, and this sounds like the sort of thing I would say, but I'm going to say it nonetheless, is that that's a team that came very close to doing even more than it did just winning the SEC championship. They didn't have a great game against Auburn, admittedly, in the, uh, uh, I guess, what they were doing the home finale that year. Uh, you know, kind of had a little bit of a bad day defensively that day. But beyond that, you're talking about, a DJ Shockley injury you know DJ Shockley and Keeter Golston both missed the Florida game and you know that was one of those you know back during that era when it just sort of seemed like Georgia was sort of snake bit against Florida you know playing without your quarterback against the Gators another example of that DJ had a huge year in addition to throwing two touchdowns to Sean uh, he also rushed for a touchdown in the uh, SEC championship in 2005 so Shockley had a huge year a lot of you are obviously aware of that but he missed the Florida game so if you're thinking about you know, Shockley being healthy for Florida, I believe that's a game that probably Georgia wins. I certainly would have had a very good chance to. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about an SEC champion that's kind of once again right back there in that sort of 12 and 1 category again. And obviously, all this sort of happening pre college football playoff, but you're kind of left to conclude well, what if that team kind of had the advantage and the opportunity that the current level of the sport has where you can, hey, you know, f- play your way into the tournament and then make something happen? You know, kind of hot at the right time at the end of the year. That's only what Georgia was there in 2005. So I don't know. Fun, fun to consider that. Fun to look back on that when it comes to Sean Bailey, the great legacy that he had. So let me see if we can kind of get the train back on the tracks here a little bit. Good stuff with Sean Bailey, of course. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink here. Good stuff from them always. And as we roll towards the weekend, we're thinking about our big finish here, courtesy of the Finish Long Drink. And of course, for us, that means also a big football tailgate weekend. A lot of you have your own kind of plans for that big tailgate yourself or watch party there at your house or you go into that local bar that you love to be at well as you're doing all of that let me tell you something you already know our friends at the finish long drink can be a big part of all of that with you so if you haven't tried it before this is a great time to do so go to the longdrink.com that's the longdrink.com and you can Put in your zip code and figure out where you can pick some up today, whether you want to try the Long Drink Cranberry or the Long Drink Strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume, the Long Drink Zero, that's no carbs, no sugar, the Long Drink Traditional, which is in a blue can, it's got like the citrus grapefruit flavor with the gin kick, 
all kinds of great options. You can figure out where to pick some up today and enjoy that for your big football weekend. TheLongDrink.com for more on that. And as you enjoy the finished long drink here this time of year, send us a photo of that. Hit, it, hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. We may highlight you later on this week as a part of our big finish, courtesy of the finished long drink. All right, let me kind of get back into the conversation I was having a few moments ago because I do want to make this point that the top 25 comes out last night. Georgia stays at number one. We think they should have. There were really very few surprises for me when it comes to top four, Michigan, then TCU, then USC. Here's what I believe, though. I believe that Michigan will make the playoff whether they win on Saturday or not. Most of you think that's the case. They are a sizable favorite, but I think they're in no matter what. I actually believe the TCU is kind of in no matter what, unless they just get completely blown out. I think they're kind of in this thing no matter what. That's not the typical point of view I express this time of year because I think typically speaking, the college football playoff power structure likes to exclude teams like TCU because it's a small fan base. It's kind of a small school. They don't have a national following. This isn't typically the kind of team that's sort of viewed as good for business, but I sort of get the impression, I hate to kind of say it this way because I feel like excessively conspiratorial when I do, but I sort of get the impression the political winds have been blowing in a slightly different direction with college football in the last year or so. This sport is legitimately concerned about the lack of access that some teams have to playoff opportunity. We saw Cincinnati as a group of five team that make the playoff a year ago. I think the TCU is potentially the beneficiary of some of that here right now, where as you move to towards a 12-team playoff world, I think the sport sort of sees it as good business for more teams to feel like they have a chance to make the playoff. And TCU being included would be more of a data point to bolster that point of view. And if they were somehow excluded, even if they were to lose on Saturday, I think that would be poorly received by the other mid-level programs in the ACC or the Pac-12 or the you know, Big Ten, Big 12, maybe even, that there are a lot of folks watching how TCU gets handled, given the resume, strong resume right now, given the fact that you don't want to punish them for simply playing a 13th game against a team they've already beaten, I believe the TCU is probably in almost no matter what, unless they just get absolutely obliterated. I don't feel the same way about USC, nor do I think that should be true with USC. I think that USC is on its way to possibly securing a playoff berth and doing so with the kind of resume that feels playoff worthy. They won at UCLA a couple of weeks ago. They beat Notre Dame on Saturday. They have a chance to avenge an earlier loss to Utah. And at that point in time, if those are the three games that USC concludes its season with, and that's probably playoff level performance from, from the Trojans to close out this year. But if they don't get the win against Utah on Saturday, that won't just be a second loss. It'll be the lack of opportunity to add the additional win that makes you really feel pretty good about them as a true playoff team. In other words, here's the way I would say it. I think TCU has to play a 13th game. In other words, it seems like it can only hurt them to play the 13th game. They're almost forced to play it. Whereas I think for USC, the real point of view there is they get to play the 13th game. They get to prove themselves as playoff worthy. Because if the season were to end today for both teams, based on what we know now, I'd take Ohio State over USC. I believe Ohio State's the better team. Uh, I believe they've probably done more to prove that. But if USC, in playing the 13th game, gets that win on Friday night, then that's the kind of pelt on the wall that probably earns their way into the playoffs. So I think of all the top four teams, USC is probably the one that needs to win to get in. And so based on all of that, you then get to the two loss, Alabama, the two loss, uh, Tennessee. And here's what it comes down to. And I asked this last night when we were doing our go for two and 22 show uh, live reacting to the playoff top 25. 
okay, so why is Tennessee that beat Alabama ranked behind Alabama? Well, I think the ultimate answer here is, and you heard this from Boo Corrigan, the uh, playoff selection committee chairman, I think the ultimate answer here is, is that Tennessee gave up 63 points to South Carolina. And I don't mean to be overly simplistic here, but some things in life are just simple, and this is simply it. That the Tennessee loss to South Carolina is worse than the win against Alabama is good. In other words, nobody has the capacity to remember everything equally, that some things just stand out more paramount in your mind. And for this committee, they think more about Tennessee getting obliterated by South Carolina and they do Tennessee squeaking past Alabama in its own stadium and who's to say they're wrong for that and so I know Tennessee fans don't agree with that argument but you can't say that's not at least a valid point of view and that's the one this committee expresses and from that standpoint you kind of understand it now it's it's inconsistent because they are obviously valuing head-to-head wins at other spots in the top 25 in a way they're not valuing that for Tennessee but ultimately it's kind of a mood discussion anyway because I believe that both Tennessee and Alabama the two lost teams from the SEC I think they're both all but eliminated from playoff discussion I don't think there's any real shot that either team makes the playoff because I told you before I think for the most part you've got three spots secured and if USC doesn't earn the fourth it's going to Ohio State because consistently year over year the one thing this committee shows is is they count losses and ultimately no matter what they do in the previous weeks when it comes down to the final ranking they typically prefer the team that just has fewer losses. I don't believe this committee is capable of making a football evaluation. I don't think they're capable of making, to use a bigger word than I should, a qualitative assessment of these two teams, which team is better. I think they have to kind of do it more along the lines of just simple arithmetic and simple counting. And the one thing that even as the committee changes its members year over year, the one thing they do is they count losses. And Ohio State just has fewer of them than Alabama does. So is Ohio State a better team on a neutral field than Alabama is? not quite so sure I think that they are but are they going to go to the playoff over the Crimson Tide yes for one reason they just have less losses and that's what it's all going to come down to so that is kind of the story on that I had a couple other stories I was going to kind of get into there as well but at this point in time we're running a little bit late let me instead get ready to kind of preview conference championship weekend uh, coming up and of course we'll make our official picks for these games coming up as a part of uh, go with the flow presented by R.S. Andrews on uh friday that's obviously going to be a fun championship edition of that but we also kind of give you a little bit of a look ahead to this when it comes to uh, this particular weekend as well i don't know if we have the point spreads to show you for today yeah let me just kind of give you a quick look at this so you've got right now you've got usc as a narrow favorite against utah on friday night you've got tcu as a narrow favorite against kansas state on saturday you've got Michigan and Georgia around about that same number of favor in excess of two touchdowns for Georgia against LSU for for Michigan against uh, against Purdue. And so here's what you're kind of left to wonder. Is there any drama whatsoever for championship weekend? Is there anything kind of unexpected for championship weekend at all? And really on Friday night, it could be all over. If USC wins, I think the playoff is kind of done there at that point in time. But from a point spread gambling standpoint, can you really continue to see TCU get close win after close win after close win? They've been doing that for now for quite some time. Is Utah really going to lay down against a USC team that's already beaten? How does that go? I mean, like from a gambling point spread perspective, these games have some drama and intrigue, even if the actual, um, you know, the actual playoff results are kind of already kind of locked in so that's going to be a lot of fun and if you want to make it fun for yourself go ahead and get your action down with our friends at my bookie you can use the promo code dog nation so here's how it works just simply type my book into your browser the internet will do the work for you 
And then after that, use the promo code Dog Nation, and you can get a big first deposit bonus. It's not too late to get this. As you sort of think about postseason college football, bowl season, a great time to get bets down on games. Obviously, heading towards the NFL postseason there as well. That is a lot of fun. Final weeks of the NFL regular season, too. All kinds of great gambling opportunities. Our friends at MyBookie want to give you a chance to do that, and they want to put more money in your account right there when you pop in there and get going on that. So promo code DOGNATION. When you find MyBookie online, you put in 100 bucks. they're going to give you 100 bucks. You've literally doubled your first deposit. You put in 400 they'll give you 400 on top of that there as well. They'll match your initial deposit up to $1,000. So use the promo code DOGNATION when you find MyBookie online. And then after that, you play, you win, you get paid. It is winning season at MyBookie. So make sure you check that out today. So cannot wait to see you tonight. It's going to be an unbelievable opportunity live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. 3575 Durden Drive Northeast. It starts at 6 p.m. The entire Dog Nation team, me, Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, everybody on hand getting ready for the great go for two in 22 season that is upon us. And we're going to have a great time at Marlowe's Tavern. We're going to enjoy chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, and just roll up our sleeves and talk some dogs here ahead of the SEC Championship on Saturday. I am so excited about seeing all of you there. And uh, in light of the conversation to begin the show, uh, going back to like the uh, stuff on Get Up on ESPN, some of these morning shows that have been maybe doubting Georgia a little bit as of late. Some Georgia fans not too happy about that. That's the theme of our golden shoe for you here today. I'll uh, show this to you. Uh, UGA Nation 412 says... <laughs> You got Heather Dinich and Mike Greenberg getting ready to discuss uh, Michigan being number one on ESPN. You see the clown makeup being applied there. So UGA Nation, no fan of that. Uh, and so we'll give a golden shoe out to, to UGA Nation for that and remind all of them that you can be on Michigan side. You can talk up TCU. You can talk up USC. But all they really are is next on that journey to go for two in 22 that is what we are all about we're going to talk about it tonight the marlows and brookhaven we will see you there and then when it's all said and done next year going back to jacksonville to beat up on those lousy stinking gators again there as well in fact our gatorator countdown now stands at 332 days looking forward to that against florida next year but for now we're go for two and 22 we'll see you tonight at marlows and tomorrow right here on dog nation daily presented by breda pest management and on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, comment section dognation.com. Of course, all of it brought to you by RS Andrews. And I went to some of the comments from when Georgia was ranked number one last night. Wanted to read a couple of these. Uh, Defense writes in to say, this is what's wrong with the college ball playoff. He says, teams that are playing for a championship could be punished while those sitting at home would get rewarded. The college ball playoff should be decided before the conference championship. So let me give you a different way to, uh, to look at that because – well, I understand your point of, hey, you know, Ohio State or maybe Alabama shouldn't benefit because they don't have to play the 13th game. But in this particular year, for the most part, I don't really think that's what this year's playoff is setting up to be. Now, if I turn out to be wrong on that, then obviously I'll have to take my medicine and say I was. But as it stands right now, I believe that Georgia's in the playoff no matter what. The conference championship, for the most part, is irrelevant about their playoff status. I think the same thing's true for Michigan, too. These are two teams that have earned playoff status leading into the uh, conference championship and those so so therefore they don't really need that 13th win to make it and believe it or not this is where i'm different than i would have been in the past i think the tcu has now done that as well i don't think the tcu is like this college football blue blood that the committee obviously wants to be in there they don't have a big national following they play in kind of a small stadium they're not even probably the most popular team in fort worth texas where they're located but they are 12 and 0 and if you look at some of the 
advanced metrics about their strength of record and the overall strength of schedule what they've done this year in big 12 play they've put kind of a playoff resume together so i believe that if tcu even if they lose as long as it's not by a huge margin on saturday i believe they're actually already in the playoff as well and that leaves usc and i believe that the situation with usc is far different than it is with say tcu tcu does not have a huge national following but they do have a playoff level resume usc has a gigantic national following you know probably the biggest in that kind of west coast corridor of the country almost for sure but they really don't have much of a playoff resume the way that i said this to our video audience a little earlier was i think that was only on video that i said this is that you know tcu has to play the big 12 title game it seems like a nuisance to them because they're already 12 and 0 Whereas I think in the case of USC, it should be viewed as they get to play the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night. It provides them the data point I believe they need to prove their playoff worthy. Because let's say we cut the schedule off right now, boom, and we said, hey, playoffs determined about what we've seen through 12 games here thus far. Well, if it's one man, one vote for me, if I'm trying to get the four best teams in the playoff, I'll take Ohio State over USC. Based on these 12 games alone, until recently, USC did not really have very many wins to recommend it. But if USC could avenge its earlier loss to Utah by beating the Utes on Friday night, well, now at uh, you know 12 and one as a conference champion, all of a sudden now I think you feel a little bit better about saying that USC has earned playoff status. So while the commenters' overall point could be true that hey, it's a little bit unseemly if a conference championship game punishes a team that was good enough to earn its right into that game. In this particular year, I don't really see that happening. I think that USC probably needs the Pac-12 title game to make for itself a playoff resume. And without getting that win against Utah, they just simply don't have enough quality wins to truly argue for themselves as one of the top four teams. UGA66 writes in to say the CFP is letting Georgia play its out its own destiny. He says they're going to back Georgia until Georgia gives them a reason not to. A big Georgia win over LSU and Georgia will retain the number one ranking as they have beaten their uh, fifth-ranked team. That would be the number five win for Georgia against current CFP top 25 teams. He says Michigan's playing uh, an unranked foe and has two wins against ranked teams. Yeah, the two Michigan wins are top 10 wins, and you know a game like Penn State looks better and better for Michigan because the Lions have played well down the stretch, and obviously Ohio State. I don't have a problem saying that's the best win that anybody's had thus far in the country here this year. But your point about Purdue is a good one. I talked to Mike Griffith about this on the show today. If there was any kind of chicanery afoot with Georgia losing the number one ranking after championship Saturday, even if it wins, then that might would have been foreshadowed by the committee ranking Purdue, the team that Michigan's playing on Saturday. But they didn't do that, and they had every opportunity to if they wanted to. Boilermakers won the West. They won three straight games to conclude the season. It's not a huge stretch to say, yeah, you could have thrown them in the top 25 if you wanted to, but they didn't. So, if there is any consistency and logic to the argument whatsoever, then Georgia, if it beats a ranked LSU by seemingly any margin, would be a better win than Michigan beating Purdue, once again, by seem, seemingly almost any margin. So from that standpoint, a win may be enough to get Georgia the number one ranking. And uh, we'll finish with this. Shoot the Hooch says, these rankings are a perfect example of the problem with a 12-team playoff. Numbers 5, 6, and 7 shouldn't even be sniffing the playoffs, yet uh, here they are. If any of those three get in and get hot and went out, how can anybody say with a straight face that their team is the best in the country when Ohio State got annihilated at home, Bama lost their division to a four-loss team, and then Tennessee lost decisively to the division champ and gave up nine touchdowns? So 
it is true that hey you introduce a certain element of randomness into the the proceedings when you're talking about playing some of these rematch type games but shoot the hooch i'm in favor of a 12 team playoff for two reasons reason number one i don't have any respect for the committee I, i don't respect the committee's ability to make football decisions at all and so by expanding the playoff you're taking less power away from them right now they have a lot of power we have five power five leagues we have four playoff spots there is a lot of evaluative work that goes on on the part of the committed to determine who the playoff teams are but when you expand to 12 there's just less of that there is more play your way in type stuff and more obvious decisions to be made not every year in every case there'll be some tough choices even in a playoff even in a 12 team playoff but for the most part you're taking some power out of the hands of the committee. And here's the other thing, too. In a lot of the years of the four-team playoff, we've seen semifinal games that are a little bit of a blowout. And I think that part of the reason we've seen so many blowouts is because the committee has no idea truly who the four best teams are. So if you put 12 teams in the playoff and then you have to earn your way by winning games on the field to being one of the top four, I think that increases the chances that in future years we have national semifinal games that are actually a little bit more competitive. And yes, some of those might be rematches. You know, Georgia, Alabama, like last year, or Georgia, Tennessee, maybe like this year, or Michigan, Ohio State, maybe possibly there as well. But if those are the four best teams, and in a lot of years, I think that would be the case because of the imbalance of power that exists in the sport within a couple of conferences then wouldn't you rather see best teams play even if it's a repeat performance as opposed to what we've seen a lot in recent years which is notre dame being embarrassed or oklahoma being embarrassed or michigan last year maybe being embarrassed uh you know i guess michigan made the playoff no matter what but we have seen a lot of teams that maybe didn't quite have a true authentic playoff resume totally dragged once they got to the postseason whereas in a 12-team world hey maybe by the time you get to those national semifinals You've got the teams that are actually supposed to be there, whether they may be, you know, duplicates from the same conference or not. So just something to consider, maybe the flip side of that argument, if you will. But we appreciate all of you being here for our podcast, Cool Down Today. And we appreciate R.S. Andrews making it all possible. R.S. Andrews, when you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs, they will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised. You can trust them on all of that today. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pest Management. And if you can come out tonight, this is at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven, starting at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you do that there with us, too. We'll talk to you then, everybody.